From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Very good day to you. Four minutes past seven in the UK on Greenwich Mean Time. Four minutes past six in Melbourne and Sydney. Wherever you're watching, welcome to the home of free speech with me, Lambert Topic, here at TNT Radio. Once again, if you want to get involved in the chat, you're welcome to do so from the get-go. I see it's pretty lively there in the chat already. You'll find us at tntradio.live and you can have your say. We don't censor anything. I read as many of them out as I can fit in. And also, you can call. You'll find the phone numbers at that same site. Whatever your point of view, it's welcome. We'll share the facts as best we can establish them. We will share our opinions, clearly differentiating those from the facts. We ask you to do one thing alone. Make up your own mind. This is the place to get the facts and our opinions and to form your own. Uh, coming up in this show, uh, China, uh, breaking news, literally in the last hour, uh, China says a U.S. Navy ship illegally intruded into the waters in the South China Sea. Uh, this is a disputed area, very hotly disputed area uh, between China and the Philippines. Uh, we're going to find out what's going on there uh, with a former military man based in the Philippines uh, with his insights on the ground. Uh, that's Ricky sickles uh, then we'll go across to cop 28 that's the climate conference taking uh, uh taking place in the united arab emirates that's the uae and in a bit of a bombshell statement i discovered that i'm not so long ago uh he says uh the president of cop 28 says there's no science behind demands for the phase out of fossil fuels you heard me right, folks. The president of COP28 is saying there's no science behind demands for phase out of fossil fuels. I agree. Isn't it so refreshing that the man in charge of the climate crisis conference doesn't think there is one? What's going on there? We'll talk to Duncan White. He is a researcher for the Alliance of British Drivers, and he has studied climatology for many years. Uh, then after that, we've got Bishop Kai Duar always great value he'll give us a quick summary of what he's found in the newspapers and in the media over the weekend kai will come up there uh, after the other two a couple of stories i want to cover first uh beginning with this australia's housing crisis leading economist Rich chris richardson calls for lower migration to cope with soaring demand apparently an influx of something like half a million people to australia has put enormous pressure on the housing sector and also he's blaming strict planning regulations making it harder to build more property where have I heard all this before? Mm, that's right, United Kingdom. We had three quarters of a million people coming to the UK. Same story. People completely fed up with the fact that there isn't enough housing. And for the same reason, as well as the increase in population, three quarters of a million is quite a lot when your total population is under 70 million. As well as that, it's really hard to get approval for significant planning of new housing why oh because of the nimbies not in my backyard they're actually worse than that they're bananas build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone <laughs> and so we've got a situation in australia and the united kingdom which is the same the main difference is you have an entire continent so it's hard to understand why politicians perhaps including albanese himself haven't found a few thousand spare hectares to build the housing that you need. We'll return to that later on in the week. 
but it does mean however far you go from the UK, you're going to have the same housing problems because you've probably got the same mindset. Uh, all of that's coming up in this hour uh, with me, Lembitopic. If you've got something to say about housing, about the relationship between China and the United States, about COP28 and the, in my view, non-existent climate crisis, you're welcome to come on to the show. Go to tntradio.live. You'll find the chat there. You'll also find the phone numbers. If you've got time, we'll get your call in as well. It's a packed program tonight, but coming up next, the most exciting thing of all, we've got Gemma Cooper, my fellow sister-in-arms here in the United Kingdom, who will give us her own erudite and unique take on what's been going on in the news. She's coming up in just a moment with me, Len Topic, right here and live on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning, Gemma. How are you doing? Yes, very well, very well, Lembert. It's funny, I was talking exactly about that a story about housing with uh, Dean Mackin on the on the show just before you. Um, it, it is a, it's a complete parallel between what's happening in the UK and what's happening in Australia. Record numbers of people going in and nowhere to, to house them. Nine out of ten, nine out of ten people coming into the UK go straight into the rental market. It's pushed rental prices up, you know, in the UK by 10% in the last year. And I just have to say this story again. Yesterday I went hiking um, in the Mendips, which as you know, you're from the UK. It's an area of outstanding natural beauty. Uh, I went to a country pub that I go to quite a lot, really old country pub, thick stone walls, flagstone floor, massive fireplace, full of locals uh, in the middle of nowhere except it's not now because they're ripping up great swathes of countryside around it to build new homes uh, because we have a housing crisis. So the other arm to this story is that, you know, I know you say not in my backyard, but I mean, if we carry on like this, there'll be no English countryside left because every single bit of land is now being sold at record prices, I must add, um, for building. Now, you can, you can only take it so far. You know, we are we are a green and pleasant land, you would hope. Uh, but I was really I was shocked yesterday, you know, access routes in and out right by the pub. This pub is hundreds of years old. You know, the kind of thing. A historic, yeah. historic country pub listed everything. It's just going to be ruined now. Ruined. But that's it's, it's culture, culture and, and ways of life being decimated because we haven't got enough homes. That, that's just well, simply, you know, one that's not going to go away. We've got too many people and no real plan. I was shadow housing minister for a few years. And I have to tell you, the big crime here is not redeveloping what are called brownfield sites. Now, those are sites that have been used before uh, and they've maybe been left to fall into dereliction and so forth. Large swathes of existing urban area, which could be redeveloped but it's cheaper to build on fields. So you've got this double whammy of more people, partly because we haven't really got enough people doing the service industry jobs. So let's just import them because it's easier to do that, isn't it? And then the second thing is we won't develop the more expensive sites, uh, partly because we're saying, oh, we need green spaces in, in the cities. The definition of a city is it's not a very green space. And that's why you've got the problem that you're facing there, Gemma. Exactly. I mean, this isn't the story I wanted to bring to the table with you because I talked about exactly this with with Dean at the top of the last hour, just simply because, you know, he's in Australia uh, and and we could we discussed the similarities. But yeah, you're right. You know, we need green spaces in cities. Uh, Hello. There's kind of an odd paradox here that doesn't seem to be adding up. But I mean, yesterday it was just awful, you know, fields and fields around this beautiful right on the edge of the Mendips, which is a designated area of outstanding natural beauty. I mean, how long before we start to see houses right you know, right in the middle of those national parks and things like that. That could be the way it's going. 
Well, uh, as long as you build it in a, in a royal estate, then one gets all the profits for one's interest. Anyway, you didn't want to talk about that. What did you want to talk about? <laughs> well, it's I interesting can't resist that it. you... I can't resist that. I'm sorry. <laughs> very, very good, actually. That's almost Thank as you. good as your Joe, Bi- Joe Biden impression, I have to say. <laughs> End of quote. <laughs> I'll, I'll find something for you tomorrow with Biden. <laughs> anyway, what okay. did you want to talk about? <laughs> well, it's uh, very interesting you talked about being a, you a shadow housing minister there, because I want to bring it back to politics because we have got a general election looming uh, next year and uh, there's a few headlines that have come out over the weekend of Sir Keir Starmer having to kind of backtrack on his I love Margaret Thatcher um, article that he wrote in one of the main papers um, but it's a story caught my eye and as you are a former MP I really wanted to know what you thought about this is that there's one constituency in the north of England um, and I wonder if this is how it's going to go at the next election. One constituency at the north of England is so disillusioned now that everyone up there has simply stopped voting. That's it. They're, they're done. Uh, an article's been written about this constituency. It's Hull. It's Hull East, which is in the north. Um, and basically, they went and talked to all the people and said, why is such a low turnout at your last local elections? Only 11% of people turned out to vote. In the last general election, just slightly around half, slight, sort of bubbling around um, just under half, which is quite low. But I think the next election, the, the whole, nobody from Hull will be at the polling booth. Um, some quotes and comments from people. Um, Politicians fill your head with promises and they never deliver. A 26-year-old guy, he said, I've never voted and I never will. All politicians do is tell us things that never happen. And it's not just young people. Uh, two pensioners, one 87-year-old lady said, I'm absolutely not interested anymore. And one 82-year-old said, I've completely lost faith in the system. A business owner in Hull said, none of them know what they are doing. Idiots are running the country. They're all having parties while we're in lockdown. Why should we vote for any of them? I have given up. Uh, he, he then goes on to say what England needs is a Donald Trump, an English version of Donald Trump. Uh, I'm not too sure about that myself, but that's his opinion. Um, it's interesting. Hull is a working class place. It's quite poor. And there's a feeling of being disenfranchised and cut off um, from the decisions that are made down south in, in Whitehall and in London. But I just wonder if this is indicative of the complete whole scale disillusionment with the political process here in the UK. I wonder if it's reflected in other countries. And if if no one turns out at the ballot box next year, if only 11% of people turn but in other areas the, of the country, where, what's the future for politics? Uh, I've got two responses to that, Gemma. The first one is that I agree people are really disillusioned and they're frustrated by what looked like desperate double standards, just about managing or not managing people, watching politicians apparently having a high life and flying all around the world telling us not to fly. That's the one that annoys me more than anything else. The second thing is people are disillusioned by the absence of any really big characters in politics. Now, my opinion is that uh, Nigel Farage does well with his reform party. It's been in the news today, in fact, Gemma, as gaining ground, because there are a lot of people who don't want to vote for the old parties, but they do want to vote. So the Nigel Farage party is on 11%. I reckon it'll grow to 15. And he's not Donald Trump, but he's a mate of Donald Trump's. So maybe Farage is the place people will go to protest against the old parties. Uh, It's unlikely they're going to form the next government, but they could absolutely annihilate the Conservative Party and cause a shift in the political right in this country. That's what I think could happen, because almost all the votes that Farage gets, at least in 
in a lot of Tory seats will be coming from the Tories, maybe more Labour in, in, in the northern parts. That's that's what I think will happen. And I think that could lead to rebounds, a very big majority for Labour as well, by the way. Um, but uh, that's what I think could happen, Gemma. Yeah, I mean, it, it is possible a disillusionment with the two main parties. The trouble is, you know, once you've got another party coming in and uh, does, is, there, is there really any difference. I always kind of go back to that mantra. I didn't make this up. Someone else did. But has voting really changed anything? They would make it illegal. You know, is it? Is it? I've always said two wings of the same bird, two legs of the same chair, um, and a third one would come in. And then does anything really change? I don't know. It, it, I think it may be a pressure outlet for people to, uh, you know, express their discontent with a, with a new party coming in. We saw that with the Brexit party, didn't we? And uh, this is a very much reform is, is kind of that kind of similar vein. But it's just interesting that people you know to say you you're not voting that used to be a really really big thing if you said oh i don't vote you're like <gasps> people are like what you don't vote mm. now people are very upfront about it saying oh, i'm not i'm not voting anymore it's cross-generational but you know 26 year old saying i never voted and i never will and pensioners you know that generation that kind of do what they told still they're saying mm. no I've, I've had enough and they're very open about it that's what's different here and that's why i'm saying i wonder if this little constituency in the north of england is actually mm. representative of other constituencies around the country. It'd be interesting to do a, a bigger, wider survey um, than just this one. But uh, yeah, people are really open about it. That is that is unusual in British culture. Uh, my guess is, I'm going to make a prediction now about politics in the next five years in Britain, in six years in Britain. This is how I think it'll go. The Conservatives will crash and burn at the next election, which I think will be in October next year. Uh, Labour will get a huge, massive majority. Keir Starmer will become Prime Minister. He'll muck it up. Meanwhile, on the right, there'll be a big rebalance because reform will have a, some defectors from the Conservatives. And what's left of the Conservatives will say, we lost because we lost our way. Uh, all the other parties are pretty much irrelevant uh, in terms of England. Uh, uh, SNP, Scottish National Party, will get seats, all right. And then it becomes uncertain because if I'm right, that Keir Starmer will muck it up, not least because of his idiotic obsession with the environment, we end up in the peculiar situation that unless the Conservatives can reconstruct, we'll have another term of terrible Labour. And then the country is finished. And perhaps, Gemma, you and I should get one-way tickets to Brisbane. Well, maybe. That's a very uh, detailed and um, com confident <laughs> prediction. Let's see if uh, let's see if it does come true. I mean, you know, you've got some, you know, you've got some form and you're able to talk about this because you were an elected member of parliament yourself, you know, and that's why I was interested to get your opinion on this. But yeah, I just wonder what will happen if only 11% of people, the electorate turns out, which is exactly what's happened in this in this constituency. That's what I'd be keen to see. Who's actually going to vote? At the next election, are you 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 predicted that people will turn out? I don't, I don't know. I haven't voted for a very long time. I'm disenfranchised from the political process. I won't vote next year. I don't want to give my energy to the system. Um, that's just me. You know, I'm not telling anyone else what to do. But I wonder what would happen if everyone just went, "Nah, you're all right. We're we're, we're going down the pub, mate. You're all right. See you later." That kind of thing. I don't know. Um, the there is one problem with my scenario. If you and I get one-way tickets to Brisbane, we're going to add to the housing crisis in Australia. We'll be part of the migrant problem. How ironic is that? <laughs> um, stay, stay with us if you can. Uh, Gemma, I just want to ask you a couple more questions after the break, uh, not least because of a, a major developing story, uh, which um, I want to share my thoughts on uh, in the South China Sea. Uh, and that does involve Biden as well. Uh, if you've got views about the housing problem, if you've got views about 
disillusionment with politics anywhere in the world get in touch go to tntradio.live get into the chat tell us what you think and uh you can also phone in you'll find the numbers there quite a lot of messages coming in uh, i'll share them just after the break i'm len Topic. this is tnt radio TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if, I, I can say you know you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food there's nothing to eat in there i very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places and if you go into the supermarket there's only the first two aisles that have got real food the rest it's not food and i see what people buy i've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys not them don't get all excited but i have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age kate shimarani on tnt radio take us back in time and who was mike flynn he was the national security advisor to the president why is it that they go after me so hard why me why does barack obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the united states when i was sentenced the judge says you have been convicted of lying to cover up for donald trump to which i say cover up what russian collusion there was no russian collusion to cover up we see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT.
Good morning. 23 minutes past seven in the United Kingdom, 23 minutes past six in Sydney and Melbourne. I'm finally getting to grips with Australian time, wherever you are in the world, uh, from America to Caracas. You're welcome uh, on to the show. Just going through some of the messages. Uh, Boridar to you, Mali Pites as well. And good morning to uh, Ivan and to Nev. Uh, thank you. <laughs> for liking my impersonation of King Charles. I'm not sure if he likes it, though. Uh, and to River also. Uh, Holly, uh, selection, not election. Spoiling the vote is the only answer. Or is it, says Holly. Why don't you stand yourself, Holly? You've got lots to say. Uh, Holly said, adds, Farage is a self-serving joker like the rest, looking like an alternative, but isn't. All right, we'll probably discuss that later on in the week. He's still in the jungle. He's in Australia at the moment, in the rainforest there. Uh, Holly says, there's no new party. Uh, I think we need Guy Fawkes. Hmm. That's promoting terrorism, technically, Holly. That's one of the contradictions in our British law. <laughs> Apparently, it's okay to blow up Parliament, but not all right to talk about uh, about Hamas. Uh, and uh, just a bloke who asks questions, always vote. I have felt politically disenfranchised my entire life, but I always vote by spoiling my ballot paper, uh, either by voting for all candidates or adding none of the above. A spoiled ballot paper is a counted protest vote. Not voting is simply apathy. Tend to agree with you that on that one. Uh, disenchantment adds Holly. A lot of debate going on here. Left and right, different ends of the same Um thing uh that says mogden uh keith starmer keir starmer is another public school idiot i think he'll be a terrible prime minister to be honest with you but here if you're listening i'll give you the right to reply you know where to find us uh, and just one more um uh river says it kind of annoys me that some people say if you don't vote don't moan vote for what Mm, so much going on in the chat. Please do uh, join into that conversation. But I want to go on to COP28. Uh, by the way, TNT Radio.live, that's where you'll find the chat I've just been reading from. Here's a great story. COP28 president says, there's no science behind demands for phase-out of fossil fuels. At last, a president of a climate emergency conference who doesn't believe the fake science. Of course, he's being lambasted. He's a Sultan Al Jabba, uh, says uh, phase out of coal, oil and gas would take the world back into caves. Well, then, who would have thought it? I'm agreeing with probably a man who has got a 10 figure sum of money, but he's talking sense. Or is he? Let's talk to somebody who's researched uh, climatology for a long time. It's Duncan White. He joins us. He uh, works with the Alliance British Drivers. Duncan, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. First of all, uh, we've got a president of COP28, the uh, uh, coalition of the parties, I think it stands for, uh, in UAE, says there's no science behind the demands for phasing out fossil fuels. How does he get away with it? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like the Pope standing up at the Easter uh, presentation to the uh, assembled masses outside the Vatican and saying, there's no God. You know, and it has that level of monumental impact. I mean, this is, this is huge. And there are claims that the man has vested interests. Well, yes, of course, we all have vested interests, don't we? And, you know, I mean, it's nonsense. And, and to suggest that we are voluntarily taking ourselves back 3,000 years, you know, a couple of hundred generations of human development back to the cave age case. And, and you know, I mean, 3,000 years ago, we were living in caves. The idea that we would voluntarily go back to that is just profoundly stupid. And I think what, what was more important in terms of uh, Dr. Ahmed Aljaber's statement 
was that uh, one of his spokesmen said, and, and I quote, the cop president, Ahmed Al-Jaber, was doing no more than quoting the science and leading climate experts. And the, he's quoting directly from the IEA and IPCC 1.5 scenarios, which clearly state that fossil fuels will have a long-term future in global energy systems. It's just, this man is just facing up to reality and giving us a salutary lesson in the reality of what we are just taking on without realising what we're taking on. You know, like in, in you mentioned the research that I've been doing. You know, I've also been researching other aspects of this and I've come up with a few theories, you know, like the hierarchy of stupidity and, and the global... <laughs> you know, and if you look at the hierarchy of stupidity, but the pinnacle of that is currently in the United Arab Emirates. There's about 70,000 of them. And, you know, they, they form the global idiocracy. And they are just suckered. You know, it's elite capture. They have just been suckered into this huge uh, propaganda enterprise about the alarmist view of global climate change. Uh, I could go on for hours. Well, and, and I'm glad that you are. I have to tell you, it is a breath of fresh air to find somebody at this self-satisfied, as you say, 70,000 strong, all flying there, uh, climate catastrophists saying, hold on, there's no science. He has got a vested interest. He doesn't want to live in a cave. Nor do I. I don't want to live in a cave. And when he says uh, that will essentially take us back to the Dark Ages, this is exactly why the third world wants to increase using oil and coal because that those are the those are the energy sources that built the first world but we want to deny them thinking that you can have solar panels and and hydro uh powering the world they're not allowed nuclear of course because they might make a bomb yeah and and this is the one of the sort of critical issues that the global uh, entourage currently in uh, the united arab emirates has got to face up to but India will not allow itself to be bamboozled into the Iron Age. China has absolutely no intention whatsoever of being bamboozled into prehistoric states of, of existence. And it would be no more than existence. It wouldn't be life. You know, and as I said a minute ago, you know, a couple of hundred generations of humanity have evolved and developed society the sophisticated society we live in. And that has brought people out of penury, poverty and ignorance over the generations. And that we would willfully return to that level of human function is it, just perverse. And I think, you know, if, <clears throat> if there were a few more people who followed in the footsteps of Dr. Ahmed Al-Jaber, uh, COP28 president, and recognised that uh, this global alarmist uh, endeavour is not the way forward. Categorically, is not the way forward. There are better let, ways to do it. Let, let, let me read to you what he actually said. Al Jabba said, I accept to come to this meeting 
I accepted to come to this meeting to have a sober and mature conversation. I'm not in any way signing up to any discussion that is alarmist. There is no science out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5% Celsius. And then he said, he said, please help me show me the roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuel that will allow for sustainable socioeconomic development, unless you want to take the world back into caves. It's so refreshing, Duncan. At last, yeah. we're beginning to have a sensible grown up conversation. Yeah, this, this is the important element of his message. You know, I mean, all of his message is important, but that was quite a significant aspect. You know, show me the science. And, and certainly, you know, I and our colleagues have been working on the science for, for years, and we cannot uncover any evidence, any scientific verifiable evidence that says that there is a disproportionate change in, in the pattern of, of global climate. Mm. And if you take... You know, it's that old, uh, if, if you visited this planet in April, by December, you would have seen a horrendous change in climate, in, in the weather, the climate. <laughs> and that is what people are thinking. You know, you look at 150 years and you say, oh, you know, horror, sheep, horror, you know, there's you know, massive climate change. Climate change. But if you stretch that out over 10,000, 100,000, a couple of million years, you'll see that the line is... And what we are experiencing at the present moment is well within accepted limits of what has happened over the last hundreds of thousands of years. And to elaborate and confect that into some monumental global warming, you know, you have to follow the money. And with you this, know, with, it's the money. Yeah, um, yes, exactly. And they're accusing him of having a vested interest. Of course he has. We all have. We all yeah. have a vested interest in doing this right. And that's the irony here, I think. That's the great irony. Um, uh, whether he's, his individual voice will make much difference, I don't know. But, you know, secretly, I think that loads of them, thousands of people who go on these visits don't actually really believe what they're talking about. That's what I think. Uh, Rick, uh, uh, Duncan, I will get you back probably in a few days' time to see what you think, uh, or, because I feel encouraged that at last we're beginning to have the science debate that the president yeah. of COP28 wants. I never thought I'd say this. I admire the president of COP28 because he doesn't believe there's a climate crisis. It's marvellous. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's Duncan White, who doesn't believe there's one either. Um why not get involved in the chat? Uh, TNTradio.live is the place to go. Coming up next, we're going to the South China Sea. Uh, a breaking story this morning. Uh, China accuses the United States of transgressing territorial waters. What's going on and why is Biden involved in this? You'll find out with me, Len Potopic, here on TNT Radio. Welcome, welcome. Coming up, important news. TNT Radio News. And that's the truth. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. After months of denial, Ukraine's president has admitted for the first time that his country's six-month-long counter-offensive was a flop and he's blaming the West. The mother of a black teenager who brutally beat his female teacher unconscious at a high school in the US is now pleading for the victim to show mercy on her son because he's had a hard life. And Washington says it had no advanced knowledge of Hamas's October 7 attack on Israel. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. 
TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. I'm Levin Opic here on TNT Radio. Welcome to the show. A uh, lot of chat about uh, the question of uh, environment. Holly says the crisis is with the idiots getting all the limelight for doing precisely nothing. Uh, Chris agrees with that. Do keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, now, though, I want to go uh, to a place uh, somewhere between the United Kingdom and Australia. China says a U.S. Navy ship illegally intruded into waters in the South China Sea. This is a breaking story over the last hours. And uh, apparently this uh, naval ship intruded uh, into an area near something called the Second Thomas Shoal, site of our very hotly contested territorial dispute. And they say that uh, apparently uh, the USS Gabriel Gifford uh, made this incursion. So what's going on? What is uh, what is Joe Biden, the U.S. president's plan with with China? One minute he invites the Chinese premier to the U.S., uh, US then he calls him a dictator, and now his ships are sailing uh, near uh, near territorial waters there. Joining us now is ex-military man uh, from the U.S., uh, and now a resident of the Philippines, Ricky Sickles. Ricky, thanks for joining us all the way from the Philippines today. How you doing there, Olympic? Very well, you. and uh, well, and very well, and probably better than uh, uh, American Sino relations at the moment. Uh, first of all, what is this dispute about, and why is Joe Biden letting his ships sail into tricky waters? Well, currently, right now, there is a joint. They're doing joint patrols, U.S. and the Philippines Navy, and Philippine. Uh, territorial waters and their economic zone, which uh, China's trying to say is theirs, but it's not. It, even the uh, world court has agreed with the Philippines on that matter. And uh, currently right now they are building joint command bases here in the Philippines for U.S. and Philippine uh, military. So it's just joint operations is what it is what it is is to make sure things don't go you know things don't do what they keep it from doing things that shouldn't be going on like recently uh the chinese militia naval fishing fleet was caught destroying a coral reef a rather large one actually here in uh the philippine sea and they were chased off the I mean, you go killing a coral reef, you're, you're killing the nursery of the ocean, is what you're but killing. Here's, here's the problem I've got, though, Ricky. Uh, Joe Biden essentially looks like he's declaring economic war on China last year. Then he invites the Chinese premier to the United States, says they're great buddies. Then he calls him a dictator. And now we've got all this. What's China meant to understand? Are they buddies or are they enemies? Because at the moment, it's clear as mud to me what Joe Biden's saying about China. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, politics, I mean, right now, it's like bread and circuses, okay? 
that's the best way I can describe it is bread and circuses. Um, they're going to do what they're going to do. Hopefully nothing evolves out of it. But at the same time, um, China is a dictatorship, even though the world basically gets almost everything manufactured in China, you know, which that's slowly changing. Um, it's, it's, it, is, it is a complicated issue because you, yeah. you have different people who have different goals. Yeah, and, the problem here is, the problem is, Ricky, China sells about half a trillion dollars worth, half a trillion dollars worth of stuff to America. Meanwhile, America keeps slamming China for its emissions, which it's making to build all the stuff for America. Right. And he invited the Chinese premier to the United States. This is the point. How can anyone really think that Joe Biden's serious in having even an economic war with China when it's totally dependent on China for all its things? He's not serious. He's not serious. Uh, in my opinion, he's not even really running the show when it comes right down to it. Um, but that's my opinion. You know, others may disagree, which is okay. Disagreement's good. But at the same time, um, you know, you, the U.S. does depend on a lot of things from China, you know, clothing, electronics, you know, things of that nature. Um, a lot of that's slowly moving out of China into other area, other countries like Vietnam, Cambodia, Philippines, uh, you know, different areas of the world. A lot of, some things are moving back to the United States. Some things are moving back to Europe, you know, and to Britain. But it's on a slow scale, and it's going to take time. <clears throat> but, but it's too late because, basically, it's cheaper to make things in China. They're brilliant at reverse engineering Western technology. And actually, they've got a space program, which means they could be the next people on the moon. In actual fact, for us to maintain our standard of living and to buy all the material possessions we want, we need China. So it's, in my view, preposterous to think that any kind of saber rattling in the South China Sea just off the Philippines is going to do anything other than just cause China to smile wryly in Beijing and say, OK, children, settle down. You're not going to do anything for the reason you said yourself, Ricky. Yeah, yeah. Uh to a point, but at the same time, here in this area, uh, there is a lot of contention in the Philippine Sea over resources, over the fishing and such. Uh, there was another incident where it was reported that a uh, Philippine fishing vessel was rammed by another ship, but it hasn't quite been known what ship rammed it. And it was out in the Philippine Sea. So there really can't be any finger pointing there, but they know it was intentional. You know, and incidents like that kind of ramp things up a little bit. But as far as like uh, we were talking about the economics, companies that are moving out, they're still staying in Southeast Asia, and but they're going to other countries like Vietnam, you know, and the surrounding areas to start doing manufacturing. And uh, Foxconn, uh, I believe they're slowly pulling out of China because they know that it's it's not a tenable uh, situation there. 
for much longer. Uh, I see that the, uh, I hear that the uh, president of China has been getting some blowback from the CCP uh, committee over some of the things that he has done. And, you know, time, time will tell, time will tell uh, as it is right now. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's at an equilibrium right now, I would say. Um, but thanks for you know, that. A, a, a lot of what you're going to see is going to be, uh, like I said, written services. Thank you. That's Ricky Sickles from the Philippines. I suppose I have a slightly more uh, cynical view about what America's doing with China. Uh, what's your view? Uh, go to tntradio.live, express your views. Lots going on in the chat. I'll come back to that in a moment. Coming up next, we've got Bishop Kaijua with his Monday morning look at what's going on in the press. All of that with me, Lampitopic, here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These are parlous times for liberty in the United States and for the Constitution and the rule of law. House Republicans have joined with their Democrat colleagues to oust Republican Representative George Santos, only the sixth member to ever be removed from the lower legislative chamber. Three were removed in 1861 after they joined the Confederacy, and the other two following their convictions of the crimes of which they were accused. Santos has been accused of fraud crimes but not convicted. This is a premature, preemptive strike by Republicans on one of their own, and it sets a dangerous precedent. Now, I hold no grief for George Santos. He seems, quite frankly, like a wingnut. But it's up to the constituents of his district to remove him from office, absent a criminal conviction. This is just one more episode in the long history of Republicans bowing to Democrat will. It seems as though when Democrats win elections, they get their own way. And when Republicans win elections, Democrats still get their own way. This is why we're so upset with the Republican Party. Grow a pair, stand up, and say no to the other side. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. Lembit Opic. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning to you from the UK, afternoon in the US, in Australia. And why aren't you asleep in the US? I'm glad you're not. You're here with Lambert Opic on TNT Radio, the effervescent home of free speech. Uh, Ricky Sickles there from the Philippines has provoked quite a strong response. Uh, for example, uh, we don't do business with, with enemies, says River. We do business with money. And Holly says, wake up, Sickles. We know what's going on. Uh, and uh, Jeff says the Navy might have a bit of a tippy toe on the water, but no one will go to war with China. And River adds, just like Nord Stream, that was the pipe which got blown up mysteriously in the Baltic Sea. We don't know who's done it, but it was always someone else. If it was done at all, mm, bubbles in the sea, evidence, adds Holly. And uh, uh, just one more here. Uh, everyone is terrified. Sorry, jumped a bit there. 
everyone is terrified and economically compromised. That's the point, Jethro. If anyone thinks they can go to war with China, they have to do without stuff. And if you don't do without stuff, your standard of living goes down. You have to make it yourself. And guess what? Then you have to build all the factories we shut because we exported all the trans, all of our manufacturing to China. Bit of an own goal there, I think. Keep your calls and comments coming. And we'll get a call in just before the end of the show if I have time. But now joining me for our weekly morning, Monday morning roundup, Monday morning UK roundup of what's happened at the weekend in the news. We've got Bishop Kaid, you are. Bishop, welcome back to TNT Radio. Good to see you again. Good morning, Lambert. Thanks for having me on. I hope you're well. I'm very well. And always looking forward to seeing what you've gleaned from the media uh, in your round robin of the weekend news. Well, I have to start by saying I was very interested at, at what Ricky was saying, especially as it comes the, the Monday morning after the weekend that the US have announced a further uh, agreement with both Australia and the United Kingdom for the supply of high-end military uh, technical equipment in their war against China. So I think there's, um, there, there's mixed messaging going on between what's coming out of the Biden White House and now dragging both Australia and United Kingdom into the, the potentials of uh, the threats against China. But the one point that both the chat and uh, you raised very eloquently is, of course, nobody will go to war to, against each other because they just owe each other far too much money. <laughs> it's only half a trillion. That's roughly a quarter of the gross domestic product of the UK. Uh, no one's going to, no one's going to go to war with China in America because Chinese have the hands that built America. But there we go. You know, I actually nearly moved to uh, Guangzhou uh, many years ago. I'm very taken by the place, actually. Uh, no one pretends China's perfect, but they didn't have an illegal war with Iraq. But hey, maybe we're going too far there. Uh, anyway, what else do you have for us? Uh, Guy. Well, I, I wanted to start by firstly paying tribute to um, Baroness Kinnock, who's passed away over the weekend. Um, it's strange to hear a, a what people consider a right-wing conservative paying tribute to a, a former Labour peer, but um, Baroness Kinnock was very instrumental in my journey in politics, and I, I actually interned for her briefly at the European Parliament. She was an incredible woman, and um, whilst we were members of the European Parliament, she did a fantastic job in fighting for British interests um, whilst we were there. So I, I want to say um, my condolences to um, Lord Kinnock and the rest of the Kinnock family over her loss. But that leads me neatly into uh, where are Labour going exactly with Starmer praising Thatcher over the weekend? Uh, trying to uh, Is he trying to woo weary Tory voters and, and hope that they won't go to Reform UK and come to the Labour Party? Or is Starmer really showing his true colours that he's just a mismatch of every political party under the sun? I've said for 26 years now that we have not had a change of government since the Blair era of 97. We've just had a change of party. And uh, I think a lot of the way that Starmer is going and some of his refusals to both do away with current Tory policy and further labor agendas is indicative of the fact that what i've been saying for two and a half decades is true it's that the political parties are so closely matched that you can you cannot tell the difference between them anymore but i think that we're, we're seeing two national leaders in both starmer and sunak in fear for their position and in fear for their future but in different ways starmer fearing the fact that Tory voters might not swing to Labour 
and of course Sunak fearing the rise of Reform UK in the polls, which I have to say, I've said for a long time, uh, and it's nothing against certain members of, of Reform UK, are just to me um, paid opposition. They are Tory light, for want of a better expression. And um, it's going to make the next 12 months in the run-up to a general election uh, very interesting as we see this back and forth of, um, I guess, who's going to take the most centrist ground to try and stay in power or to get in power. One-party politics is what we seem to have. Uh, I do recall, uh, Kai, that in 1997, that was the year I got elected to British Parliament, Tony Blair did something similar. He started talking up big names in the Conservative Party. So I suspect it's a copy and paste job by Keir Starmer. The difference being that he's already evoked rage in his own party about his weird stance on the uh, situation in Israel and Gaza. And now he seems determined to annoy his left wing again. He needs to remember that Jeremy Corbyn still has a considerable amount of support in his party. Could it be, Kai, that he's going to create a rift which will damage his electoral chances, or is it just a dead cert he's going to win? I don't think it's a dead cert he's going to win. Uh, at the moment, as I'm looking at polling, and you know, since 2016, we've, we've clearly demonstrated that polling cannot be trusted in any way, shape, or form, because it is a focused demographic, and they look to get the answers. I always remember the old scene from uh, Yes, Prime Minister, where uh, um, you know Sir Humphrey and, and Bernard are, are focusing on polling data to get the answers that they want. So to me, I, I don't trust polls at all. I, my predictions at the moment are I would lean more towards a hung parliament like we had in 2010, and the question will emerge of who can form a coalition to govern first, um, or who comes out with the, the, the largest percentage of a minority um, to then look at forming a government. I, I think Blair was... Blair swept into power because of his charisma and what he was doing. And he's clearly advising Starmer in his run to become the prime minister. The problem is Starmer doesn't have the charisma or the charm that Blair did. He, he certainly doesn't have the prowess at the dispatch box. Um, we, we're faced with a position where I, I think if Starmer was faced with anybody other than Rishi Sunak at the opposite dispatch box, they would make him look a fool. It's just that we have a prime minister that that lacks the um, the 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 the, the, the I, I don't want to say credibility. Lacks the charisma and the the. Um, it's the, the gravitas that's missing. He he doesn't the, have gravitas. When he was no, he when Boris Johnson was providing him with an open goal week after week, Keir Starmer couldn't get the ball into the net, and so Boris was eventually pulled down by his own party rather than by Labour. That's the thing about Starmer. He doesn't seem to have what it takes to lead his own party, let alone lead the country. But I don't think there's anybody in Labour at the moment that I would say I would be confident enough to say that person could emerge as a a, a truly significant figure in British politics and as a commanding prime minister to lead the United Kingdom. We had certain figures, and there still are certain figures within the Tory front benches that I think have the potential to do it, but won't. The, my biggest concern about this is the fact that it is leaving the door wide open 
for Farage to sweep in because the country is seemingly getting behind him over the immigration rail and other things. The only question is, is it going to be Farage with Reform UK or is it going to be Farage back in the Tory party? And, and to be honest, the only way I could see Farage ever being prime minister is by a return to the Conservative Party. Um, Holly says, hung parliament. I would like to see that in action, literally hung, the lot of them, parasites. <laughs> um, we've only got time for one more story, but you wanted to mention COP28, perhaps. Well, what a complete own goal for the the the, <laughs> the chief of COP28. Uh, it seems that COP28 is far about far from being about climate change this year. Uh, he, he's gone on to to release comments about the fact that you know it would send the the world back to the Stone Age if we cut a reliance on fossil fuels. COP28 should have been dominated by the king making an excellent speech, but everybody's talking about his Greek tie rather than uh, than his uh, his. Uh, <laughs> focus on climate change uh, it's i mean if ever there was proof that the climate change hoax is really starting to crumble just look at the last few days of cop 28 but as we come out of cop 28 uh you know even with those private jets that were frozen in our era of global boiling that they've they've told us about um my thing of my argument against the climate change agenda has been one simple thing it will remain one simple thing if you want to see whether or not the elites believe it, look at where the banks are loaning money. And right now, the biggest private investments are in beachfront property. If they truly believed that the, the coastlines would be underwater, there is not a financial institution in the world that would loan money against beachfront property. And I find it rather hypocritical when we have a former vice president and a former president that have just bought very exclusive beachfront property in Miami. So they clearly don't believe the agenda and the narrative that they're pushing either cop 28 what well cop a load of this <laughs> very nicely put i will leave it there for this week thank you kai uh and we'll have you back next monday that's kai you're a bishop uh who uh just coined a rather good phrase which i shall plagiarize for myself just before we finish uh, we got civ on the line civ uh good day to you well, good day, Lambert. And uh, I, I like hearing the, the bishop. By the way, is it is, is it kind of compulsory for every Welshman to sound like Tom Jones and every Welshwoman to sound like um, Bonnie Tyler? They all seem to be able to do that. By the way, I'd it's like not unusual. We talk to the bishop. It's not unusual. <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> That's very far. I, I, I see exactly what you did. I see, see exactly He's... what you did. But just quickly, this this whole thing. I I actually agree with the president. I actually agree with the president of uh, of COP twenty eight. And yes, he does have a vested interest. He, like the rest of civilized society, wants to actually keep the modern conveniences. And hey, you know, just up oil. Um, who like to glue themselves to things? If they want to go into the cave first and show us how it's done, let's let's have them do that. Let's have them go into the cave and see if they can actually do it. Yeah, you know, we could film a nice reality TV show out of it. We can. It'd be better than I'm a celebrity with um, whoever is on it this week. Let's actually have them go into the cave. Let's have them show us how it's done, and maybe we might join them. Maybe not. Good to talk to you, Lambert. <laughs> Thank you, Siv. And I own apology, I think, to River. Oh, dearie me, Lambert. I take it that's the play on words of the Tom Jones classic. It's not unusual. And I do thank uh, both Siv and the Bishop, Bishop Dewar, for coming on. Uh, I am beginning to enjoy COP28, ladies and gentlemen, as the whole thing falls apart 
before our very eyes and get this as we discussed here on tnt radio earlier in uh, last week in fact um uae is using cop 28 as an opportunity to sell oil it's perfect it's beautiful and it makes sense because oil and coal built the first world i for one think it's about time that the third world and the second world get the same opportunities that we gave ourselves and 70,000 people who flew to the uae to tell us to stop flying can just about shut up and start accepting that the president knows what he's talking about well that's the end of my time today i'll be back again tomorrow i hope you've enjoyed it thanks for all the chats uh thanks for my guests as well thanks to the gallery i hope you have a really really good day and do keep listening to me here uh Lembidopic, and also to my colleagues at tntradio.live the home of free speech have a good day